Welcome back to another episode of the CSK8 podcast. My name is Jared O'Leary. About a year ago, I released an episode that was a supercut on preventing burnout in education. So a supercut is when you take excerpts from a variety of different episodes and put them all together into one episode on a single topic. So in this week's episode, we are going to listen to the responses from all the guests who were asked how they prevent burnout in education. In the excerpts that you're about to hear, you're mostly going to hear just the guests giving their advice on preventing burnout, but sometimes I include the exchange that the guest and I had. Now, I will announce in between each one of these excerpts which episode this is from by giving you the title for it. And I also include a link to the particular episode as well as the description of the episode in the show notes, which you can find at jaredoleary.com or by clicking the link in the app that you're listening to this on. If you haven't listened to last year's episode, I highly recommend starting there and then take a listen to this particular year's episode as there's some wonderful guests and some wonderful information on how to prevent burnout in education. All right, so the first excerpt is from episode 51, Learning at Scale with Kristen Stevens-Martinez. So for me, the biggest thing was facultydiversity.org. So it is the National Center for Faculty Development and Diversity. And I found this resource, I think after faculty orientation, maybe, which for me was after a semester of being at Duke because I started in the spring semester. And so I went to orientation like a semester late, which actually in some ways is more useful. Like going to orientation after you've been there a semester is you have, you actually know what questions you want answered. And is a resource intended to help you figure out how to make being a faculty make sense without burning yourself out. So they have extremely practical webinars where it's like, go through this hour and a half webinar and by the end of it, you will have a plan for your semester and go through this one. And now you will start learning the process of planning your week every single week. And there's a lot of like tips and tricks and those kinds of things that you can do in there. And when I found this resource, I was like, this, is, this seems very useful to help me start figuring stuff out. And I was horrible at the beginning of following their advice. Like it took time to figure it out. And I was working evenings and I was working weekends. And I was like, I hate this. One reason actually I decided to be a professor of the practice. And I guess I, I sh we should define what that is. So a professor of the practice is someone who focuses more on teaching rather than research at Duke University. And there is some expectations of scholarly work, but what's nice at Duke is that we can kind of define what that means to ourselves. And so for myself, my scholarly work is going to focus more on research with some outreach like my podcast, but like some people define it in other ways. And so I chose to be a professor of the practice because I looked at the professors at Berkeley which was my main way of comparing, my main yardstick, because that's where I went to grad school. And admittedly, it's not the most calibrated yardstick <laughs> now that I've been away for a while. But I look at them and I'm like, I don't want your life. I was like, I don't want to work 60 hours a week. I don't want to have this huge pressure of finding grants and publishing. I don't want any of that. I want to have the weekends to myself. I want the weekends to my, I want the evenings for my family. And so that's one reason why I chose professor of the practice, because I was like, I know at least I can do teaching well. And as long as I do that well, they're not going to fire me. And so if I have to like do less of other things to get that work-life balance, no one is going to fire me over it. And anything else I want to do on top of that, like my podcast and my research, I will do because I want to, and it fits into my life. 
obviously though, I did not know what I was doing in the beginning. And so I was still working weekends and all of that. And then adding the practices that I was learning from this resource was great because it started making certain things more visible and more real and helped give me the tools to figure out how to tweak that. So for example, the weekly planning meeting is where you list out all the things you have to do and then you match those things to your calendar. Like you literally block out time on your calendar. Like this is when I'm going to work on X. Another thing where they have you track your time, like how long does it take you to to actually do things? Because everyone suffers the planning fallacy of it always takes longer than you expect it to. Right. And so having you track your time helps you figure that out. I am a data nerd because, you know, I'm a computer scientist and a data scientist. So I still collect my time. Like I know exactly how long I spend on everything to the 15 minute increment for work. And I did this in grad school before even learning about doing this as a faculty. So picking up that habit again was very easy for me. So knowing that information, I am better at estimating how long it takes me to do things. I still screw up. Like I estimated for reviewing for 60, it was going to take me an hour and a half per paper. No, it took me like two hours per paper or like two and a half hours per paper. So I was still off, but I was not as off as I could have been. (laughs) And so like blocking out my calendar and then in the beginning, it made it very real to me to realize that I was underestimating how long things were taking me because I had to drag those blocks to like the weekend. Like I didn't finish this thing. So now I have to put this in the weekend and now I'm spending weekend time and I feel this pain. I'm going to remember this pain. So I will fix what I'm doing to stop doing this. It took me like a year before I stopped like working on weekends and working in the evenings. Like we had one kid at the time. So like after the kid was in bed, like pulling up my laptop and doing extra like email and that kind of thing. It took me a long time, but That's kind of probably the biggest things for me, which was like accessing that resource. And a lot of universities have university memberships there. So just check your university and see if it's in that list. Because if it is, then you have free access to all this stuff. Planning up my semester, I go a little crazy in how I plan my semester. I plan it kind of to the hour, how many hours I'm due on various things for various weeks, but like no one has to be as nuts as I am. (laughs) I do weekly planning. I make deadlines feel real. And so the way I do that is that The act of planning out when I'm going to do what makes deadlines feel very real to me because if I don't get it done in that time, I have moved everything else over. And that, to me, at least the deadline is feels very real at that point because I'm like, well, if I don't get this done now, I'm not going to get it done later or I have to shove something else over. So clearly this is the, this deadline is real, even though technically I don't have to do this for two weeks. 60, technically we're all reviewing for 60 now and that due date is next week. I'm already done. Because I was like, no, if I don't do this now, I'm not going to get it done later. I've got other things to do. Other things are tracking my time so I know how long things take. And then I kind of mentioned this before. I was like making, underestimating how long something takes you feel the pain, like make you feel that pain so that you'll reassess how to do better next time. (laughs) I think it's still a balance. I still plan out my days and technically my day is supposed to end at five, but it never ends at five. It always ends at like 530 or six. And that's partially because I'm a bit of a workaholic. Like I like to do this stuff. And I have the advantage of we live in a place where we can live on one income. And so my husband, he technically is a stay-at-home parent. He supported me a lot in grad school. So I feel like this is like the reciprocal, I now hold the breadwinner bucket and he had it before. But what that means is like, I can continue working in my office until he goes to daycare, picks up the three-year-old and brings him home and I don't really have to go downstairs as soon as the, day ca- the three-year-old is home. I can like, you know, three-year-old can play with his dominoes or whatever. And I will continue like getting rid of like finishing some last email. That's how I kind of avoid burnout. And right now also, 
as since I'm on parental leave, I'm currently going through a process now of kind of rediscovering how to recharge because of this combination of being a workaholic and having two kids now and trying to manage two kids. All right, so the next excerpt is titled Situated Language and Learning with Brian Brown, and this is from episode 53. I've never had a greater motivation than to wake up in the morning to know I've got 35 kids waiting on me for a 7.30 start or 8 o'clock start, and I need to be ready by 7.30, and then the next hour there's another set of kids, and then there's another prep, so a completely different lesson plan for this third set of kids. That motivation has never left me. It's always been about preparing for kids and impacting kids and communities. And so as now a college professor, that motivation still exists. It's easy to get motivated and prepare for people. The research part, I think the thing that has kept me focused is that it continues to move. So if I started doing research on language and identity and its impact on science, can't do that research anymore because we've been there. We've done those studies. And so the next question is, what does this mean? So now as we move to technology, there's a new level of interest. And so that part has been an enabling factor to keep me motivated and focused because one of the benefits of this job is intellectual work. So the ideas have to be new. So it's always moving, you know, which is at least entertaining. I can say that much. All right. The excerpt from episode 55 is titled Nikki Washington is unapologetically dope. I think this was the first summer that I had zero time to decompress. So I never in 15 years of teaching ever done summer school or anything. So my summer was always my time to kind of just do whatever for three months. And then everything with COVID, packing, moving, transitioning to a new job and creating a new course. And so I am kind of five minutes and maybe one more class lecture away from a full meltdown. But I say for me, exercise. So I walk. Unfortunately, I can't run anymore due to knee injuries, but I try to walk, not as much as I should, so I have to get back on a routine, but that's always very helpful for me. Music is a huge source of zen for me. I love music, and honestly, TV. I'm a huge TV junkie, so TV shows and music and podcasts are kind of getting me through all of this, especially TV and music more so than anything. So anyone who sees me on Twitter, I'm always tweeting about whatever I'm watching, whatever I'm listening to. That gives me life right now. You know, I have to definitely appreciate things like the Versus series that started over COVID because it gives me a chance to just remember when and be nostalgic about music that I enjoy. TV shows like right now I'm watching Lovecraft Country and I'm so caught up in that. And then even, you know, before Watchmen or I watch a lot of old shows too. So I'm either alternating between Martin, King of Queens, and Golden Girls. And then during the day, I wake up and it's Living Single, Girlfriends, and In the Heat of the Night. I'm all over the place. And I tell people I'm high key using Twitter kind of as my own therapy right now. So, you know, I may be talking about something real serious at one o'clock, but by nine o'clock, I'm talking about something on TV or something that's popping up. And it's hard because I feel like I'm an extroverted introvert. So I like to be by myself, but at the same time, I like to do it on my terms. So for me being an only child, you know, I could be very comfortable being home. So the first couple of months in, or first couple of weeks in March, oh, it was great. I'm like, this, just another weekend for me. But then by April 1st, it was, okay, you know, I've had enough of this. I need to see people and engage. And, you know, here it is where, what, it's September and we're still not outside yet. So I've had to really find ways to step away from technology and just veg out. And for me, 
that's just been exercise, music, TV, because there's really not much else you can do yet, or we should be doing. There's a lot that some people are doing, but yeah, I'm home. And the next excerpt from episode 57 is titled Amplifying Voices for Social Justice with Lynn Diaz. Two things come to mind and that I really try to do almost on a daily basis. One is I really have taken up exercising. For me, it really is, has been my outlet. And I try to do this, you know, every day. I go for long walks, jogging here and there and some exercise. And that really has helped me to sort of remove myself from the harsh realities, the political darkness, you know, sometimes that we're faced in, and especially here, you know, in Georgia, things of that nature. So I've gotten into that more consistently lately. But the other thing that I I do is I've really immersed myself into becoming a better coach for my team and the role that I have. I'm very fortunate to have a small team and we hone in on coaching skills and strategies to help each other, you know, cope through what we're all going through. But more importantly, we leverage coaching and coaching skills in the work that we do with teachers. So it helps all around. It helps us effectively communicate, collaborate, and work together and support each other as a team. But it also helps in having these conversations with teachers and principals and, you know, building trust and core and just knowing that we can be there for each other, but we're also there for the schools that we're working with. So done a little bit more reading and freshening up on coaching skills. And by the way, I just want to put a plug in for audiobooks too. I love audiobooks. And that's something else that has helped me too is, you know, to not honestly having to be on a screen for hours and hours every day. <laughs> you know, I know that's not the same thing as like picking up a book and reading, but audiobooks has really helped me kind of also de-stress and, you know, immersed in really good books. All right. So the excerpt from episode 59 is titled Daily STEM with Chris Woods. Number one, you got to make sure you spend time with your family, your friends, your loved ones. Just make sure that you're just spending that good quality time with them. Play games, call grandma, call grandpa, call whoever, you know, use that, use that phone for something besides, you know, chatting and texting and TikToking. But honestly, the biggest thing that keeps me going as an educator is being part of a team, being part of a team of educators. Now, right now, my school is 100% virtual. And so trying to connect with my fellow educators, it's a little bit more of a challenge, but we have a group text, we have Microsoft Teams, we have you know, all these different ways that we can just stop and ask each other questions when we're struggling and ask those other teachers around you, are you struggling? You know, hey, can I help you with anything? How's it going? You know, you're a first year teacher. How's it going? That's such a powerful question that any educator that's been teaching a while can ask. That's probably the most important question. And then also like just today, I posted, I posted in our Microsoft Teams, I was like, Hey, it's Friday. You know, it's so great working with all of you. You know, just keep up the good work and enjoy your weekend. Did I have to do that? No. Did anybody tell me to do that? No. I just did it because, hey, I'd want someone to do that for me. And number two, knowing that I did that also, I think, reminds me that I'm doing a good job too. And we can all encourage each other. So that's the biggest thing. If we can just keep on encouraging each other. And again, especially look out for those new teachers, those young teachers and things like that. 
All right, the excerpt from episode 61 is titled Designing Curricula at Scale with GT Robel. I think this is a challenge for educators no matter what. And my initial answer is community. I felt so much solace with people, frankly, like you, I think with collaborators at, at code.org and just feeling like there's somebody else who understands Sometimes it's just the pressure, especially the contrast between the vision you have for how you want things to be and how things are. So sometimes I get tired because I have a lot to do. Be like, I got to make an activity guide, and then a vocab list, and then a video script, and then a whatever. But I think it was more exhausting if it felt like my aspirations for you know what we wanted to achieve for students or you do think systemically, you think big. It can sometimes feel overwhelming. Like, are we going to get there? Mm-hmm. So I was going to say that I think community helps. I think something I'm finding this year, I'm volunteering at Teals. You and I are doing a project at CSTA. And I think I feel reinvigorated picking things that put me in touch with individuals again and making it specific. And I think having about 50 kids and working with them and they won't turn on their cameras, but it's okay because I'm slowly getting to know everybody and I think they're getting to know me. I'm excited. I want to do it. And I do think I reached a point as a curriculum developer, where I said, I don't know if I can write another lesson right now about introductory computer science topics, or at least not this year. I don't know if I can do it. And part of that, I think, is, you know, when you've written a few hundred of them. (laughs) (laughs) Right. I don't know if I have anything to say anymore, you know, or maybe I need to do something else. But I think that people will say things all the time, like give yourself grace, or take a break or find a community. But I've really, I don't know, they're doing yoga. I often was, people would say like, do yoga. And I'd say, what are you talking about? Like, this is just papering over like an unsustainable other circumstance. Education is not going to get fixed by me doing yoga. Right. And if I give myself grace, that's not going to write that activity guide. (laughs) Right. You know, or I could even say the words, but I don't know if I could feel them. So maybe for people who think like me, like go do some stretches. (laughs) If I were going to summarize community, focusing on specifics and The big picture can sometimes be overwhelming. So saying I'm working with these 50 kids and I'm trusting that it'll influence the work I do. And then I'd say, if you're like me and people have said things about burnout and they say things like give yourself grace or like do some yoga or like set up a schedule or whatever, it's easy to ignore. And I think I actually did, if I'm being honest. I don't want to pretend to be an expert at this. I think if I were to be truly honest, I think I hit a tough spot earlier this year. I think a lot of educators did that feeling of, man, this vision we had is falling apart. And so I think leaning back towards just sort of like the things people often say to you, but like, give it a shot. <laughs> All right, what do you do? Does any of that resonate with you? Oh, definitely. Like a plus one to yoga, for sure. When I first went in to see a therapist, this was when I was like, at the point where I was either going to commit suicide or do something to get better. And so I decided, okay, I might as well give therapy a shot, see if there are things that I haven't tried that could help. And one of the things that she recommended was doing yoga. And I ended up doing it twice a day, hour in the morning, hour in the evening. And like between that and then like working on breathing, some more mindfulness stuff, like it really helped me to just chill out and actually take time for myself to just breathe and be as opposed to like myself being a go, go, go 24 seven. If I didn't have to sleep, I wouldn't kind of a thing. It really helped out. So that was a big thing. And then I eventually found just Getting consistent sleep was a big thing for me. Eating healthier. I started learning more about nutrition and diet and eventually became vegan over time, just like 
by learning more about that, exercising every day, like all these little things that I do that make me seem regimented in terms of like my diet and my lifestyle, like all of that is about trying to not be depressed and not have those suicidal thoughts. And like it helped me to get off the antidepressants that I was on that were having all these like adverse side effects and whatnot that I was like, okay, it's making it so I don't want to kill myself, but I have all these other things that I now have to worry about. So what can I do to make it so I don't have to be on antidepressants and I'm not depressed? If that makes sense. Yeah, it really does. I was curious your thoughts on whether CS education in particular demands some of that go, go, go. I wonder a little bit if like the current moment we're in for the field, and I'm sort of saying this because I imagine a lot of the listeners to this podcast are watching the people on Twitter. They're going to the conferences. They realize it's such an important moment. But I think that may contribute to the problem you're asking about. And I think it also attracts people who want to make an impact. It is something I've been reflecting on, but I'm curious your thoughts on it. Like, do you think there's something, it's true for all of education, I think in many ways, but do you think specifically just the moment we're in for CS education, like, is that, is there an additional layer of pressure right now? Certainly. And especially with all the remote learning, but even before COVID was a thing, like programming in particular, software development, you could learn a language and then in five years that language is obsolete, like nobody uses it anymore. So you're just constantly having to learn new things and just everything that you knew the week prior, okay, now there's this new way to do it or this better way to do it. And on one hand, that's great because it's like, if you want to learn, cool. Tech CS, like this is a field for you. I happen to thrive in that environment. But that being said, it can also be overwhelming if you don't take a break from it. So one of the things that I've been having to remind myself is like, Rest is to the mind as sharpening is to the axe. Like you have to take a break from something. And I say this as somebody who literally taught seven days a week. I teach a full-time gig during the day. I teach part-time at night. And then I teach all day Saturday and Sunday, like private lessons or drumline and things like that. So having done that and experienced it, I also see the value in taking a break from it so that when you come back to it, you can have a clear and focused mind to be able to focus on that learning and whatnot. Yeah, I think it's important. I don't expect the dream vision of work that I think maybe my generation in particular was sold, but sort of this like, you'll, if you love your work, you'll never work a day in your life. And I'm like, that's not true. Like, <laughs> you're going to work a lot of days of your life. Right. But there should be some core excitement. And I think if you feel like it's getting dulled, I like the metaphor of a dull axe. Like, and not everybody has the freedom to make choices to step away or recharge or something like that. That definitely resonates for me. I, I told you I really appreciated you doing a show like this because I think a lot of passionate educators are feeling really deflated this year. Yeah. The one thing I was going to say about that, I actually see it in my new role as well. I think letting go of how it used to be is so important right now. And I'm actually being in a new space is giving me the ability to see that, which is that if you knew how you wanted it to be or how it used to be, right now hurts because it's not like that. That can be a needless distractor from how good could we make it given the realities. And I don't say that to be naive. <laughs> I, I know there's a lot of challenges, but I do think that there's this extra layer of kind of like mourning every time something doesn't look the way it did pre-COVID. And I want to validate that that's real. And then also say, if we can put it aside and say like, all right, here's the new reality. How good could we make it? I think there's space to rediscover that motivation and excitement. I don't say this to put like extra pressure, but if you're aiming to help people, and that's I think what motivates a lot, help them learn, help them teach, whatever it happens to be. 
I think the mourning process or the sadness is real. You want to make sure you're listening to people when they're talking. But if you can kind of bring a more excited or kind of calm version of yourself to whatever it is you're doing, you'll be happier. I think you'll help people more. And I, I think that does mean letting go a little bit. And I've struggled with that. So I don't want to pretend it's easy, but it is something that I think being in a new space, people will tell me it used to be this way, but we can't do it anymore. And the halfway virtual version, like, you know, wouldn't even be close. And I think if somebody knew, I think it'd be pretty good. I'd rather do the halfway virtual version than nothing at all. Like, so let's give it a shot. Yeah, I like that. It really resonates with why I went into education in particular. Before I decided to go into it for my degrees and whatnot, I had worked some like office jobs and even worked as like a professional stainer and finisher for closet doors that costs like more than I paid for my house. So like this like range of experiences where either was interacting with people like as a manager at Blockbuster or interacting with closet doors that wouldn't talk to you. So like having that experience and knowing what it's like to go in every day and be able to expect the same thing. I didn't like that. One of the things that I loved about the volunteer teaching that I was doing was every day it was something new. There was some new challenge or problem solve or some new thing that I had to learn. And so I guess if you are able to frame 2020 in that way, then there can be at least a positive framing of that. That being said, there's a lot of things going on in the world that we still need to acknowledge that are problematic and that are troubling a lot of people. But if you are able to at least reframe some things as a positive, then hopefully that's beneficial for you. I think finding community to help you do that is really useful too. Both to say, hey, let's do five minutes where we all say all the things that are really hard. And then here's the candles that we're, <laughs> we're holding on to of the shining lights of optimism or hope. And yeah, I think that finding people who are willing to do both with you can be helpful, especially if you acknowledge that they're tied to one another, in my opinion. Like, I'm hopeful because I want this thing to happen. I want to do it together. I want it to be good. I'm saddened because I see all of these obstacles and challenges and they're very real. Right. But the other thing, it's not like education used to be this easy field where everything was working exactly how everybody wanted it to work, which is not, I don't want to be glib. I'm just saying like, if you're working side by side with educators, this is a tough group. This is a group that has had to look in the eye a lot of difficult situations. I would say by and large, when I get together with educators, I'm really I see the optimism. I see like that's why they're there. And I think that being able to continue to kindle that with one another possible, I think it's possible to do in communal settings. Yeah, I like that. Especially the framing of is we've always had challenges. Now it's just different challenges. I think it's true. And I can also fully say that I feel like a manager said that to me. I know that a little part of me would say, oh, but come on, like, we all know this is rough. Like, this is way different. Like, it is worse. And that's where I'm saying, I think you need to be able to do both. I think you need to be able to have like five minutes of like, ah, and then say, and then say, yeah, but this is pretty good. We made it better than it was. We're getting closer. It was always tough. You know, there might be two steps forward and one step back. So yeah. I want to be real. I know this is a difficult year. It's a particularly difficult year for education, but I think that we all serve ourselves better if we try to find that communal hope. And now an excerpt from episode 63, which is titled Suggestions and Considerations for District-Wide Implementation with Abby Funabiki. This is a good question, and I think I am getting better <laughs> at taking vacations and making sure I take time off, or when I finish a big project, make sure I celebrate that a little bit before just moving on to the next one. I've actually really liked all of your suggestions from your guests in these podcasts. 
I guess one thing I've talked about with some of our staff is how nice full day vacations and full week vacations are, as opposed to just spreading out time off, you know, in half days or short amounts of time. It's really nice to completely get away and focus on the other things for a couple of days, I think. Yeah, it's important because like you've said it to me where I was like, oh, yeah, I, like I had to work uh, over the weekend. So I'm planning on taking like a half day or two. And then you have said, well, it'd probably be better if you took like a full day off. And then that way your brain isn't like half committed to resting ver- and half committed to working for most of the day. And for somebody like me, because my brain won't shut off and I'm just constantly thinking about work, it's a lot easier for me to take a full day or a full week. My friends and family make fun of me. I have a lot of hobbies. So that for some people, if it's a good fit, could be a (laughs) self-care recommendation. What are some example hobbies that you like to engage in? I personally have found it's really nice to have like a tactical hobby and then also a mindless hobby and then also a hobby where you're learning something. So it depends what mood I'm in. (laughs) It depends on my hobbies, but my biggest one is probably just reading, you know, so I do find time to read every day. And I'm not saying I'm good at any of these things, but I enjoy them. (laughs) So a more tactical one would be painting. I grew up woodworking with my family. So I continue to do some woodworking and projects in the garage. My learning hobby right now is I'm learning the mandolin. So taking lessons, and I just feel like it's so good for my brain to be learning something brand new once a week that really pushes my brain to think in a new, different way. So I love backpacking, mountain biking, hiking. When I have time, I feel like it's important to also have, you know, more accessible hobbies. So that's kind of where some of these less time-intensive hobbies come into play. And the following excerpt from episode 65 is titled See Us for All Teachers with Melissa Raspberry. One thing for sure has been, and this, you know, may or may not be possible for teachers when they're online with their students, but certainly there are some meetings that where I just cut my camera off and just like, I'm here, I'm listening, I'm focused, but I just can't do the camera right now. Because there certainly is something about, you know, looking at your own image or just like, oh, that's interesting. What's that picture back there behind his head? Or, oh, look at the dog. Is that a dog in the background? You know, we get so distracted by so many things. and you know, sometimes having that, that like truly we did work before virtually without having to see into people's homes all day, every day. Some of it is just cutting the camera off time and still being able to stay, you know, stay focused, stay connected, but not having to have the camera on. Something that I'm trying to do more is like I just said, like honestly get up and just change scenery a friend of mine said this, you know, it's like going and looking out the window or sitting outside and just like focusing on a bug crawling on the ground. It's like just bringing your attention to something else that, you know, is away from where you are. But I'll be honest and say it is tough because, you know, whereas look, even though I worked from home, there generally was something in the evening that was taking me away from sitting here. So whether it was, oh, I'm going to go to the grocery store or you know, everyone's favorite going to Target, or I have a meeting that I have to drive to, or some other thing that I'm doing that was physically taking me away from home. That's not really happening as much like, oh, I have a meeting again on Zoom, or, or, you know, my grocery store is going to pick it up because I've ordered it online, or it's being delivered, or whatever the case may be. And so 
I think we really do have to be intentional with that. And a big, big part of it, I think, is changing your scenery. But again, maybe moving your desk a little bit or going and looking out a different window as you're working. I think all of those things help. And the following excerpt from episode 67 is called Exploring Computer Science with Joanna Good. I think, again, relying on colleagues and friends and having these conversations so it doesn't feel like it's a solo endeavor or such a load because it can be, you know, systemic racism is not the easiest to swallow. And, you know, as a white person, I am very conscious of how I can sort of turn off the computer and walk into the grocery store and have an experience that is validating all the systemic racism, but validating it from a place that continues to give me privilege. And that can be challenging as well. I believe in self-care. I like to get sunshine. It's the opposite of the computing part. Reminds me of my Commodore 64 and my mother always coming up and saying, go outside and play, go climb a tree. And she would kick me out of the house. And I tried to still do that. Like, okay, I've been at the computer go down and I like to garden. I found that really restorative for me to feel like my fingers in the soil and to grow and to nurture. And Also, I have always been a swimmer and I still swim. So that gives another layer to this, given that swimming is a metaphor on being stuck in the shallow end, because swimming is a great form of self-care. And yet I finish this work and I often go pop to the swimming pool and I feel great and I have incredibly awesome exercise. And I look around myself and I'm surrounded by mostly other white people swimming at the swimming pool. So it's that self-care, but the constant, I mean, we live in a society where to get to my swimming pool nowadays, I have to have a reservation. Then you walk through either the women's locker room or the men's locker room to get to the pool. So it's almost the things are so clear how we do this gendering and this racing And I can't, I never shake it because I think it's who I am. I think about these issues all the time, but I try to do the healthy exercise and the being grounded in my place and in my community to remind myself that these ideas and issues are all connected, but we can only work on it when we take care of ourselves and we're able to show up and do the work. All right, the excerpt from episode 69 is titled Hashtag CSK8Visions by Vicki Sedgwick. I'm really bad at that, I will admit. I tend to be a workaholic, and it's a lot tougher now that work is at home, right? So I have to try and physically say, I'm turning off the computer. I am turning it off and leaving the room. I will admit I'm not good at it. I've been trying to be better the last month or so because I find myself just being on edge and stressed out. And I know it's because I was spending too much time working. Pre-COVID, I love to go to concerts, right? But of course, I can't do that now. I do attend some online, but again, that I'm still in front of a computer, right? And it's not the same experience as going to a live concert. So I don't find it quite as satisfying. (laughs) And it isn't the escape from being on a device. Right. I also really love photography. And I love to go out on photo walks and just take pictures from unusual perspectives and stuff like that. 
I have not done that much lately because it's been 90 plus degrees out and was very smoky for a while because of the fires. So I haven't been walking too much, but the weather will turn at some point and then I'll go out and do more of that. So then I also get, you know, where I'm moving because I find I don't move as much as I should too. So, and sometimes I'll just, you know, read some stupid book that has nothing to do with anything, you know, that's totally an escapist book. And then it's not on a device. It's an actual book. And, you know, I'm not trying to learn anything from it. So yeah, I used to be nonfiction only. Like I was like, well, what's the point if I'm not learning something new? And then I was like, okay, a lot of people keep saying they really value getting into fiction. And so I tried it. And I feel like it one, it helps relax me like I do it before I fall asleep. But two, it also just like opens up new perspectives and ways of thinking and like just helps with creativity, which is a heavy load on my job. Like I'm constantly creating new projects and lessons and things like that. So I personally find a lot of value in that. Then your comments about like just getting up and moving, that also relates to why you saw me yesterday in the meeting while walking on a treadmill. Like I'm tired of sitting in meetings like for eight hours a day. So I need to make sure I'm moving. Yeah, I like that. I am working on a desktop right now. And I can't get it high enough to even stand. So I'm trying to work out something where I can readjust it so I can move my big monitor up and be able to stand because just even being able to stand rather than sit is helpful, I find, you know, so. Now we have an excerpt from episode 71, which is titled Considering Leisure in Education with Roger Manti. Just like the people at MIT, for example, who felt the need to balance out things in their lives. Because I spend so much time in front of a computer and so much time reading and thinking and writing and everything else, because I'm no longer, you know, actively teaching music as music in the way that I used to. But then of late, you know, I mean, I haven't found people to be playing my saxophone with when I'm now picking up the flute and I'm learning Irish flute music, you know, just for fun to do that. So that's at least one musical outlet. But for, for the most part, you know, I just like to do physically active things just to balance out you know, all the reading heavy, you know, text, computer screen type of things. I mean, you got to get outside, you got to do something else. So I like to do that. I did resume my squash career a little bit. And then of course, everything got shut down again. So I like to do sports, you know, it's more fun. Our next excerpt is from episode 73. And it is titled Vulnerability, Reflection and CS Education with Amy Coe. I want to start off just by recognizing that Paige and my busyness and my productivity, it's probably a huge source of imposter syndrome for a lot of people because they can't imagine how I get all of these things done and they're struggling too. So I just want to acknowledge that I struggle with it too, why I have so many practices for it to make it better. And I've been practicing the productivity piece of it for a long time, way back when I was starting middle school, back in sixth grade, I mentioned that my mom was a grade school teacher too. She was the most organized person I knew. She had a lot of paper planners that she used for everything. She was very organized about her lesson and unit plans for school and for teaching. And since she was kind of my teacher role model growing up, I wanted a planner too. So really, really early on in middle school, I had a planner and to-do lists and a calendar, way overkill for the time, right? But it just meant that I had all of these practices that I was constantly cultivating. And I saw hers and she would ask me questions about it. Like, is that working for you? Do you want to change anything about it? We can go to this store at the mall and they can give you a different kind of to-do list if you want a different one. So the idea that we build practices to manage our time is something I learned really early on and then just got better at over time. What are ways outside of the productivity that you 
rest or disconnect from the busyness and being productive? Yeah, one of them is just the practice of drawing really sharp lines around things. I work fixed hours. I stop working at a certain time. I don't look at work emails after a certain time. I don't work on the weekends unless I've traded some weekday time for some weekend time. I'm really strict about how much time I give my job. There are weird edge cases being, you know, as a professor, I'm supposed to follow my curiosity. So if I'm curious about something and I want to go follow it, does that work? (laughs) Right. Does it not work? I don't really know. So there's some fuzzy boundaries there when it comes to research and scholarship, you know, but I really do unplug from work in ways that I think sometimes other people struggle to do. I got good at that when I was a parent in graduate school. I wanted to have time for my family and be there with my family. And I just decided that Grad school was going to be a nine to five job. So I'd show up in the office at nine and I'd leave at five and I'd know that I'd have eight hours to get all of my classwork and research and other random service done. And it kind of meant that I didn't spend a lot of time socializing like a lot of my peers did. I just focused on my family and my research and then squeeze in social stuff into travel and other things. But it just meant that I wasn't thinking about work when I was doing other stuff. And that was really a nice way of kind of making space for other things that mattered in my life. And our next excerpt from episode 77 is titled Healthy Boundaries with Siobhan Grady. If 2020 taught me anything, it was how to have healthy boundaries. And boundaries are not only for personal, they are professional too. And I know that's hard for some people given whatever job they may have, but it is important that you let people know when they're overstepping a boundary. For instance, if someone's asking you to meet at a time that you already have booked for something else, then you just tell them no. You don't double book yourself. I think a lot of times we're trying to please other people and in the end we're hurting ourselves. So I would say implement boundaries practice self-care. I didn't realize up until last year that many people don't even do self-care. Self-care is loving yourself. Loving yourself might mean an hour in the morning each day before you get started, where you just meditate or reflect or whatever. That is your time. Or in the evening or going walking or taking a bath, uh, lighting candles, whatever it takes. That is a part of self-care. And I think that In order to have more balance, we have to realize when we're actually just doing too much. And that would also require looking at a planner. If all of the hours in the day are booked up with work, you're not doing it right. (laughs) We're not robots. We are meant to get sleep. And that's another thing. When we don't get the proper rest, we're not at our best either. When we're not hydrated, getting our proper rest, it starts coming out in other areas. So I would just say for me, One thing that I do is I implement boundaries. I practice self-care, loving myself. That could be me going on a daily walk or like I said, an hour in the morning or evening, just with myself, just unwinding, reflecting. And that's what has helped me tremendously. All right. The excerpt from episode 80 is titled Individualized Learning Without Grades with Sofia de Jesus. So I didn't avoid the burnout completely as I am stepping out of the classroom for a bit. But I did take a job that was educational in nature because I still want to coach and I still want to teach. And I am an educator and that's who I am. I didn't avoid the burnout as much as I wish I would have. But I will say that I am lucky in that I think that the classrooms that I had built were a lot easier to exist in a COVID world than if I had to redo everything. 
What I mean by that is, yes, my robotics classes are difficult. One of my classes we could do because we have robots for each child and we kept it at under 10 because we very generously, Revolution Robotics donated those robots. So we were able to do that. We couldn't do all trimesters because between trimester one and two, for example, there was only one day. We couldn't clean everything, get everything ready for the next group. So trimester two, we adapted the class. Trimester three, we're back at the robots because three months have gone by and now we can use the robots again. But one of the things is my seventh and eighth grade classes, we didn't have enough robots to kind of run that. And we have a lot more students who wanted the class. So I can't have 18 individual robots, for example, or 24. So those classes were adjusted to be something more computational. And so we do some simulations, but we also do other things. I created something where we are always working around problems. So we address some problems, you know, and that may be an ill-defined game-based problem, or it can be something else that's easily adaptable or a lot easier than if I am married to, I have to have my smart board in front of me, a projector and a whatever, and the materials that I have in the room, or because I adapt my classes to be very individualistic. I feel like I didn't make as many changes or concessions as I would have had if I was 10 years ago me. In that respect, I think I got lucky. I think my students are still having fun. They're still getting in trouble for doing stuff for my class in other classes, which I always find fun. It's interesting because when I get a complaint from a teacher like, I caught your student working on their Minecraft project. I have to respond, I'm so sorry, I'll talk to him. And inside I'm like, yes, they were interested. I am very proud of the fact that my students continue to work, even though they don't have homework. So those kinds of things, I think my classes are easier to adapt to whatever it is that's thrown at them because of the way that they are set up. But at the same time, it takes a toll to have to teach as many classes. I'm also helping with the instructional piece a lot. How do I use technology in the classroom? I've run a Quite a bit of PD in my school this year, helping with some of the DEIJ stuff with, with our director of DEIJ and some of the counseling pieces with our counselor, with our learning specialist. I partner with a lot of people in the school just to make sure that we have what we need. And I do, you know, I've been lucky because again, my administration is super supportive of what it is that I do. And so we've been sharing as much as possible with others so that it can maybe hopefully help them adjust and adapt in an easier way. But would I want to do this whole year again? Not in a million years, not as an educator. It's been too much and it's somebody will inevitably fall through the cracks because we have students on screen. We have students in the room. I said this recently, you know, I got to a point with a student where they finally shared, you know, their passion for anime, et cetera. And I had such a fun conversation with the student and I was so excited and, and we were talking, a couple of us teachers were talking and I said, I finally got through to this kid and we had this amazing conversation. And then I said, but yet I know that the six months it took me to get here, it would have taken me a month if we were in person. Right. That's the piece that I miss the most is I want that connection with my students. I have a really good connection with some of them because some of my students are in multiple classes with me. So I have had students who I've seen every single trimester for the last three years, but there's others who are new and I still don't know them as well. Right. And that's the part that's difficult as an educator because our connections to our students are so important. And for me to know them as individuals, 
in this setting is hard. And the next excerpt from episode 82 is titled Lessons Learned from CSTA Chapters Across the United States with Jason Bohr. I think for me, we talked a little bit before about, you know, being workaholics. And I was involved in so many different things. You know, I taught English. I taught computer science. I coached. Some years, three different sports. You know, it might look like you're spreading yourself thin, but in many ways was if I was feeling burnout in my English classes, my computer science classes would get me back up, you know, get me excited. Particular sport wasn't doing too well. You know, we weren't having a great season was, you know, the next sport coming up, getting excited about that. So I think, you know, it's a balance for sure to find, you know, how much you can do and, and how much, what your capacity is. But I feel like that's what helped me was being involved across multiple fronts, you know, and if I wasn't having a good day here, I could still have a good day over here, you know, <laughs> that kind of approach. And our next excerpt from episode 84 is titled The Rise of CS Across the Pond with Phil Bag. Burnout is something that happens for all teachers. And I do massively worry at the moment in the UK for the head teachers. I have never seen so much workload put on them by COVID regulations and all sorts of other things. I very much fear for our education system in the next couple of years because I think we're going to lose a lot of head teachers. And experienced head teachers are really valuable and can make a big difference. And I wonder whether we might lose some teachers in that as well. And our following excerpt from episode 86 is titled Computing Education Research with Mark Guzdial. I can't tell you that I don't get burnt out. I will tell you that. It helps that I have a really good family life. You know, we take off certain time every night. You know, we have dinner together and just talk. We make sure that we take off hours and spend time together. I run. The things that one picks up during the pandemic is I've become a big fan of meditation. I try to do meditation a couple times a day, and it really helps to be mindful and to ground myself. And that's helped a lot with stress and sleep. So I actually have fun doing this. I do computing because I enjoy it. My wife and I, Barbara Erickson, who's been my research collaborator on lots of things. We wrote the media computation books together and did Georgia Computes and ESEP together. Barbara sees computing as being a puzzle. She loves to figure out how the algorithm works and how to make it better and, and what's going on here. I've never had that puzzle perspective. I've never gotten into computing as problem solving. For me, programming is this cool set of Lego bricks. And I can put them together in all kinds of different ways to make things. And if it gets hard, I sort of like, okay, I'm gonna do the simplest, dumbest, inefficientest way of making this work. When Barbara and I were writing the books, I would leave notes in the source code. Okay, Barb, I know this is a sucky algorithm. Could you please just fix it and not give me grief about it? Because she's much better at that than me. So I get to play with Tinker Toys and uh, Erector Sets all day long. It's great. All right, so the next excerpt from episode 88 is titled Connecting With and Listening to Students with Dominic Sanders. So I enjoy running. I'm a part of Black Men Run. It was a little group that I used to run with weekly. Again, I just moved here to South Carolina, so I'll be doing that shortly. I also enjoy music, but then for me, what also helps prevent like burnout, I always like think about my student. Like I said, I have like pictures of my students on the desk. So that's, I guess, always thinking about like my why, like why I signed up for this, like in the first place. I know there's going to be like challenging times and, you know, like hard trials and tribulations. I always think about the student that 
you know, looked up to me as brother, uncle, you know, dad, whatever it was, like, what would they want me to do in this situation? Think about the student that was busing 30 or 40 miles just to have a seat in my classroom, just so they can, you know, make a better opportunity for themselves and their family. I always try to, like, travel it back to my why, and then that kind of, like, keeps me grounded. And then another thing that kind of, like, motivates me is, like, my grandmother. She always talked about, like, the importance of education and then that, like, she unfortunately had to stop in, like, middle school. That's always, like, my grounding piece to, like, keep going and remember that, like, the people before me, like, didn't get a chance to keep going because they had to. So, like, let me make sure that I'm creating practices and policies to make sure that from kindergarten to, to, through 12th grade, if this is what you want to do, if this computer science is, you know, your path or whatever your path is in this realm is, make sure that I'm creating spaces and opportunities for you to succeed and get across the finish line. And the following excerpt from episode 90 is titled Making Meaningful Connections with Gene Rue. It's funny because I think you're assuming I'm not burned out. <laughs> no, but I, I mean, that's partially a joke, partially not. I think this entire time of pandemic has really burned everyone out, specifically in education. Everyone's working so, so hard. So I feel really fried. I think all of us have been saying yes to more than we have the capacity to say yes to. And at the same time, it's expected of us to say yes. And at the same time, we want to say yes because we see all that like could be, we don't want to stop because we want to make things better. And currently I feel really fried. I don't feel like a vacation would even fully heal me, right? And at the risk of sounding cheesy though, I think that like, yeah, I think meditation practice helps. I think that yoga practice helps. I think that swimming helps. I think that going for a walk helps. Like, I think laughter helps with like people who don't work at all in your field, <laughs> who are like thinking about different things really is important. And I am so appreciative of like my community of friends and family who work in different spheres and are thinking about different things that we can come together and share and like, wow, you know, that helps give me perspective and gives like breathes new life into what I'm thinking about or working on. But yeah, I think that the self-care thing is so huge and it's like, I totally am not doing it very well, <laughs> but I'm trying. How do you not burn out? It's an ongoing and ever-changing process, kind of like what you're saying with equity, like depending on the context, depending on so many different factors, like it shifts. And somebody who has chronic depression, like the tool bag of tricks that I have that helps me not feel depressed and when it was really bad, not feel suicidal, each tool has a different use for a different time or context or purpose. And they don't always all work. So like you mentioned with meditation and yoga, yeah, those have been fantastic for most of the time, but sometimes they haven't worked well for me. So Muay Thai works really well, going and hitting my Thai bag downstairs like that, something I enjoy doing. Or playing video games or playing with my dogs or creating something, whether it's like artwork or music or whatever. Like there are many different things that I try and do to assist with that. And so I've gone like as far as like creating a spreadsheet that would measure each like 10 minute interval of the day. And I would like write down what I was doing and then write down how I felt. 
so I could really try and analyze what exactly is it that makes me feel good and what does not. You don't have to go that deep into that. It worked well, and I don't do that anymore. But basically, just each day now going and reflecting on what is something that made me feel good or like lit my fire and just made me really excited about something and just keeping that in basically a journal or a spreadsheet so when I'm feeling down or feeling off I can go to that and say okay here's 100 ideas that have worked for me in the past one of them is bound to work for me in this moment so let me just do a quick review of it oh, okay I'm gonna go try that thing and then I go and do that thing. that's really cool wow that spreadsheet sounds amazing talk about like mindfulness <laughs> you know <laughs> <laughs> yeah and they have apps for it i just ended up creating my own my therapist recommended an app but it didn't have enough of like the range of emotions that i wanted to be able to express and like the kind of activities that i was engaging in so i wanted to be more granular and being ocd so i went in and just kind of basically created my own like drop down menu for each one of the cells so <laughs> pro tip <laughs> that's amazing and thank you also for being so open about like struggle with depression because it's like I think that we need to be more open and discussing like these realities I feel like I've been struggling with anxiety especially during the pandemic and as I get older that anxiety increases and so it's kind of like finding these ways to I don't think it ever fully goes away right like it's not like depression is suddenly healed one day I don't think anxiety is suddenly healed one day but it's like the how do we come to see it, acknowledge it, and then like find ways to work through it. Because I also think about like the unhealthy practices that I have as a human being and that like add flame to my anxieties, how I'm imprinting those things on my son. Like I'm so like, that's a huge fear of mine, which creates more anxiety by the way. But like, you know, just like, how do I not create that like same kind of patterning my parents are amazing. I love them dearly, but for sure, there are probably things that they did that, you know, impact the way that I also think and behave. And so I know that there are things that I'm doing <laughs> that he will definitely need therapy for as well when he's an adult. And so it's just that like, yeah, it's, it's, I don't know, it's interesting. And next up from episode 92, we have lessons learned from informal CS education with Grant Smith. I say no now. <laughs> There's a balance, right? And I'm now in a position where I can't take on many additional projects. I wouldn't be able to write a 550-page book right now. I wouldn't be able to make a whole PD course. We've even put our Instagram account on hold because of what I'm doing now in my current position. It's just too much, right? And I want to have that balance. I don't want to burn out. I want to be able to see my kids. <laughs> and so there is a lot to be done. There is so much ahead of us that needs to be done, but we're no good to each other if we all burn out and we need to find that balance in our lives and we need to find out what works for us. I know we've talked about teachers who end up leaving to go back into software development, right? Because the pay is not good enough. That's another form of burnout. And we need to find places that we can feel impactful, effective, but also sustainable. So... Yeah, it's all about the sustainable. Got to take care of ourselves. And the final interview, at least in the last year, from episode 95 is titled Exploring Disability and Connecting with the Arts with Jesse Rathgeber. The thing that I probably should have learned earlier on is that having some way to separate 
my work thoughts, even if it's not just their work life, like, and it's never going to be hundred percent balanced all the time. In fact, that's not how balance works. Right. But it's the notion of being conscious of having time to unplug and having time to be fully unplugged um, in and not necessarily being halfway during the summer right now, I've made it that generally most afternoons, I don't do a lot of stuff. I'm now on the ramp up towards school, so I'm doing more afternoon kind of things, but I needed that. During the school year, I've done a lot better about unless I have X required thing at seven o'clock, everything shuts off. I don't check email anymore. That's it. I tell the students that as well. And I tell them like, hey, if something's due the next day, you're probably not going to want to email me the night it's due. <laughs> and I put it in the syllabi just so that they all know. Like, and it's all as much just me trying to model for them that you need to do this. You need to have some unplugging time. I have a couple activities that I really love doing that I can get in completely engrossed in that will force me to not think about most educational or most of my professional work. Number one is rebuilding guitars and like messing around with their wiring. I have a Strat in the other room that I have rewired four times in the last week and a half and it still doesn't play. And I don't know what it is, but when I'm working on it, hours pass. And I listen to a podcast and I not once do I think about other stuff. I also, I've gotten really deep back into my vinyl collection. Well, my vinyl, I'm searching specific things. I'm trying to not be a, like a big collector of have tons of stuff, specific albums. So I'll come down here and I'm lucky I have an office space that's kind of nice and cool. Our chinchillas are down here and I'll just sit and listen to an album and I do the whole album just to kind of take a break. Those things have been really, really important. And I think the last one is I'm trying to differentiate. Like when I'm at work, I do work stuff. So like when I'm at my school office, which I can't right now, they're, getting, they're renovating it. But like that's where I get all my schoolwork done. So this space that we're talking, I actually don't do a ton of schoolwork at anymore because I try to do it at work. The notion of separation, having something else to do and also having kind of a, a musical thing to do has been helpful. I mean, our dogs are always... <laughs> like they make you <laughs> do something right and then i also have recently invested in a hammock so when it's not rainy i go out and lay in the hammock for an hour or so just to kind of clear my mind yeah sounds nice yeah it has been it's been one of the best investments i mean the fact that i have multiple things to share now i think when you and i met i would not have had anything that i could have shared that would have been my relaxation because i didn't value relaxation and then I had a mental breakdown. <laughs> so, you know, that's what happens. I'm glad that you asked that because, like, I try really hard in my classes anymore, even freshmen, because I teach a freshman intro to college class. I really try to impress upon them that also the notion of valuing rest and that rest is as central to getting things done as just trying to work on it. And so, like, we talk about, like, okay, you have this essay to write and how do you break it up? Okay, well, well, I've got three hours to write right now. I was like, no, 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 no. That's good, but like, you might try that, but your brain might not work that way. And some people's do, but you should test out a couple different ways of approaching it. Because I think having these conversations is, is important. It does break some of the stigma of talking about mental health. It also breaks the stigma of feeling like you're selfish for taking care of yourself. Like I did, I often felt like I should be doing this, I should be doing that, I should be doing that. But the only person who thought I should be doing that was my brain that didn't want me to relax. I don't know about for you, but at least for me, especially in the doctoral program, there were so many high achievers in the program that 
even if one person was taking a break, I would not be looking at that break. I'd be looking at the other person who happened to not be taking a break at that time. So it always just felt like, well, somebody out there is working really hard. So I also need to be doing that. Yep. It's almost that fear of missing out, but in working. There's some right now. I see so many people who are like, well, I just published this. I just published this. Like, that's great for them. That's really great for them. I used to go like, oh, that sucks that I didn't do that. And maybe that's one of the mental health secrets is knowing how to celebrate others <laughs> and not to see their success as somehow tied to your failure. All right. So here's a quote that I like to review is from Lao Tzu. So it's people don't get tired of enjoying and praising one who not competing has in all the world, no competitor. And that is a quote that like really sits with me and kind of resonates with what you were saying. And with that, that concludes this week's episode of the CSK8 podcast. I really hope these suggestions for preventing burnout are helpful. And again, if you haven't listened to the episode from last year, make sure you check out the show notes, which includes a link to episode 49. So you can take a listen to the recommendations from the previous year. Thank you so much for listening. I hope you consider sharing and stay tuned next week for another episode. Until then, stay safe and I hope you're all having a wonderful week.